Thank you for joining us today to the podcast or to the internet site of Gospel Saving Church. Thank you all for listening and taking your time out of your day or your hour, your evening, or whatever it is to to listen to this teaching. I am Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and I will be teaching our study today that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to title the message simply Response. We're going to pray first, and then we're going to dig in. We're going to read Matthew chapter 2, the whole chapter. It's a lot of It's a lot, a lot, a lot to read, but we're going to get through it, and we're going to see what God has to say to us. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for bringing us here today, Lord God, and bringing those to listen and bringing me here to teach, Lord God. I pray that you would help us, Lord God, to see what's important in your word and read your word over and teach your word over, Lord God, and help us be good listeners, but most importantly, Lord God, help us not to be just good listeners, but doers of the word, Lord God, as your word said that the, it's not the listener that's blessed, or it's really not even the listener that's saved, you would say. It's the doer that is blessed, and the doer of your word that is the one that is the person that is yours. So, Lord, we bless you, and we praise you, and we thank you, and we come here in your mighty name, Jesus, and listen to your words about you and about your birth and all the awesome things and details that you're going to show us today. Pray you touch our hearts, Lord God. Help me to teach and help the listeners to hear what you have to say to them. And Lord God, may they be blown away and hear your words and not just again be a hearer but a doer of what your word says to us today. We praise you and we thank you, dear God. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So when they had heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I shall call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the 
Jeremiah the prophet saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, appeared to Joseph in a dream, excuse me, verse 19, And when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So as we look at our scripture today, we realize that it could be taught from many, many, many different perspectives. But we're going to look at the perspective of response. But before we do, we're going to pull out four huge points that we cannot glance over. And they are the points that God has given us of prophecy. Our first prophecy is in Micah. 5.2, where we go to Micah 5.2, and, and you read it. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from of everlasting. We also go to Hosea 11.1, 1, where it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And they related this prophecy to Christ, as well as the land of the people of Jew, of, of the Jewish people who came out of Egypt, out of slavery. Number three was Jeremiah 31.15, which we have a third prophecy. Jeremiah 31.15, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children, because they are no more. And the fourth one, we have a prophecy which was given by prophets that God gave them just a verbal prophecy that prophets were speaking about the pro the Messiah was to be grown up or raised or you know he would live in the region of Galilee in the town of Nazareth why are these prophecies so important well they're important mainly because the Christ in the Jewish Old Testament or the Tanakh as they would call it Jews would call it the the prophecy of the Christ the Christ had to be so it had to fulfill a whole bunch of prophecies that God gave about him. Because if he didn't, and he still called himself the Christ, he was a false Messiah. And God had warned you know, people, only li basically listen to the prophets that are telling the truth, and their prophecies have to come true. And Jesus being the Christ, meaning he was the, the one to, to redeem the world from sin that we had all fallen under, had to fulfill all kinds of prophecy, just as like you'd call them fingerprints, to show us that he is the real deal. He was the one sent by God. So these four prophecies, they're all different prophecies, like chronicling all, you know, all the different aspects of Christ's life. And again, we call them fingerprints because without them, Jesus could have been a fraud. He would have been a fraud. If he wouldn't, didn't fulfill all prophecy that was written about him, he would have been a fraud. But yet we see here, as we read in the actual Old Testament books, which were, you know, we turned back to them and read them, that those exactly what the Matthew, the writer of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, what he recorded for us to hear. 
So Matthew wrote his gospel, importantly, important to note here, that he wrote his gospel to the Jew, to the Jews. The Jews wanted to know that who the Messiah was. So Matthew writing his gospel to the Jews made a strong emphasis on prophecy all throughout his book, all throughout the gospel, because he wanted Jews to know that Christ was Jewish and that Christ was the Messiah come from God. They're important even for us today, as many skeptics will look at Jesus and say he can't be, or he wasn't, or he was a fraud, or you know, there's many ways to heaven. When the Bible says there's one way to heaven, it says it's Jesus Christ, and that it, he had to fulfill all these different prophecies, which he did, and we read them. But now, moving on, we, we get that very, very, very important four points there. But now we move on to the main point of our thrust of our teaching today, which would be response. And we're going to look at two responses. We're going to look at how the wise men responded to the knowledge of Christ, and we're going to look at how Herod handled the knowledge of the Christ coming. So enter in, we have the wise men. Wise men in our English had a Greek word, and the Greek word was magus, or magi, which would be plural. Now the definition of magi would be defined as a name given by Babylonians, Chaldeans, Medes, Persians, and others. To who? To the wise men, teachers, priests, physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, augurs, soothsayers, and sorcerers, and etc. So we find here that even the word where they were from, and it says they came from the east, these men were not from Israel. They came from the east, from either Babylon or Persia, which would be modern-day Iran, or somewhere in the east. These men had to be either descendants of Jews that went into the captivity of Babylon that God took Israel away into, you know, five or six or seven hundred years before Christ came, okay? Or they had to be converts to Judaism, the original people at that time, because they saw, you know, and they heard the prophecies that God was giving through his prophets that lived back then. No other person or type of person would have come from the East, would have even cared about some Jewish king, especially not enough as we read here in the scripture, that they came and they worshipped him. Native Babylonians and Easters were polytheistic, which means they worshipped a whole multitude of gods. They didn't just have one God. Sure, they had their favorites, but they didn't just have one God. Well, Jews were monotheistic and still are monotheistic, which means that they worship one God. So these men couldn't have been true Easterners with a polytheistic belief because why would they have traveled from Babylon or Persia, modern-day Iran, to go all the way to Israel because they didn't have cars or boats or planes. They had boats, but not boats that would have done what they needed to do here. Uh, and, and this was all across land anyway. But they wouldn't have been able to take, they wouldn't have traveled all the way that they did from the Far East to come to Israel, which was a speck on the map, unless they were some kind of Jewish descent or convert. And um, one of the main reasons we know that, that they had to be of Jewish descent or converts to Judaism because of the travel time, their journey. Their journey would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of about 700 miles. And this, this journey of 700 miles, 
They would have traveled on camel or horse, and they would have been in a caravan. The whole idea that the Magi, which we see in our Christmas plays, was only three men is a complete makeup. There's nobody really knows how many, but just the Magi indicated that there were more than one. So there were several, if not hundreds or even thousands, that traveled in this caravan. They this 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 journey traveling approximately you know maybe four to five miles an hour you know with stops and so on and so forth could have taken them as many as as much as four to six months to get to Israel. So when we look at four to six months to get to Israel, would a Easterner who had who was a polytheist traveled four to six months to go see a Jewish king when they had hundreds and thousands of worship places within their own lands that they could easily go to and easily worship all their gods? Absolutely not. So we deduce that they, again, were of Jewish descent or converts to Judaism. From Daniel's time, actually, is the prophet we're going to look at a little bit here. So... Their travel time, four to six months. The water stores they would have had, they, they had their travel was about 700 miles. There was a shorter way. It had been about 500 miles straight across the desert times, the desert areas. But that would have been only about 500 miles, but they wouldn't have been near any water. So their, their, their travel time may have been shorter miles-wise, but the stores of water and the supplies that they would have needed to carry to travel that shorter distance would have been so immense there would have been no way they could have ever done it. So that what they did was they traveled along the rivers. And as they traveled along the rivers, that made their journey longer. But then they had water, they had fresh water, and therefore they could, you know, they had supplies for the journey. So this travel time, this journey, and where comes in their response, their devotion or their dedication to this new king. Traveling all this way, they would have had to have been very devoted and very dedicated because nobody makes this journey that's not devoted or dedicated just to go see some king born in a new land. So the Lord really showed me some insight into their coming to this King Jesus. And let's think about this for a minute. If you think that they, these men just woke up one day or you know, saw one night were hanging out and just saw this star and said, well, let's go up and go see what this means, that would be a wrong thing to think. Because, why? They had to know something about this beforehand. And you hear that in what they said in verse 2. And they say, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they knew, you wouldn't just know from a star that a king was born unless they knew something about that star. And how would they know something about that star unless they would have been reading the scriptures of the Jews, which would have been throughout that region, throughout all the world or throughout the areas you know, where Jews were, or descendants of Jews, and we have spoken prophecies about the coming of the Christ and all the miracles that were going to happen in that. So they had to know that. Now these men, importantly enough to note here, were descendants of people, again, that I said earlier, from Daniel's time, or the, the captivity of Israel, which would have been in Daniel's time. Daniel wrote a book, and it's a book of the Bible called the Book of Daniel, it's a prophetical book, and it was written about 536 B.C. Well, that would be 536 years roughly before zero or two or three, which was when Jesus Christ was born. Now, that's a lot of generations between Daniel and Jesus. 
roughly about seven generations of people living if they lived an average of 70 years apiece. Folks, this was not just a group of men that woke up one day. This was a brotherhood that started with a group of very dedicated godly men from 536 plus years before this event actually happened. Then they passed this dedicated belief, this dedicated following on down the line in the family lines and so on and so forth for over five hundred years. Just think about that for a minute. Doesn't that blow your mind? Because it does mine. These men originally, and the men on down the line, would have had to have not just a belief in something, but an enduring belief. And dedicated with all their hearts to do it. Why? I'm going to tell you. This took these men passing down this information from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation for over 500 years. These men were solely dedicated because it wasn't like they could just go on their day. They had to be focusing on the miracles, on supernatural events that were going to happen in the stars in the sky, even on earth. They would have had to have been watching. They would have had to have been waiting. They would have had to have been anticipating. This is what they call a life of devotion. So the wise men that we see that come in Matthew chapter 2 are descendants from very dedicated people. And these wise men themselves were very dedicated men as they had to be seeking God. They had to be seeking the signs. They had to be seeking the miracles that came even to see the star and know what it was, they were studied. Again, remember that word, magi? Meant very, the people that were you know, teachers, they were, they were dedicated. They were, we go back to the definitions, and they were astrologers, and they were priests and physicians and teachers. Okay, so these were very educated men as well, too. So, but they would have kind of known when this kind of would have been happening because we have a prophecy in the book of Daniel in chapter 9 that kind of gives us the general time frame that the Christ would have been coming. And so we go to Daniel chapter 9 as we turn to it here. You can turn to it in your scriptures if you're wanting to follow along. Daniel chapter 9. And it's the prophecy called the 70 weeks prophecy. And we start down in verse 25, and this is 9.25, and Daniel writes as inspiration from God, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Well, this is a prophecy that Daniel gave approximately, you know, 500 plus years before Christ ever was born. Now, how would they have known the exact or roundabout time that to look for this great miracle or look to, for the signs and so on and so forth in the skies? And that would have been because they would have been keeping track of their calendar because in here it gives us a very important detail in 25. It says, Know therefore that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there should be a certain amount of time, he goes on to say. 
So they, these group of men that are lived that when Jesus came and all their descendants on back would have been having again. Remember I told you that life of dedication. They would have been looking for that command to go forth and to restore and build Jerusalem. And they would have known that Cyrus gave it, of which year I don't I don't know offhand right now. I didn't bother to look it up. It's not it's not a it's a moot point. But it was many 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 years before Christ came. Okay, they would have been able to count the days on their calendar and all these weeks and these years. Actually, it was it was more like years, not weeks, but it was years. And they would have been able to know when about the time that the Christ was going to come. So they would have been able to kind of be watching. Because they knew when that command went forth to restore and build Jerusalem. So, moving on. Group of dedicated men. This whole operation for them waking up one day and seeing the star and following their you know, former people's footsteps or former descendants' footsteps, this whole operation would have taken an extreme amount of faith to keep going. They saw Israel and the Jews be gone for a long time and then come back. Uh, they would have seen you know, that the Jews were a nation again and ruled by Rome as they were in Jesus' day. And this would have been encouragement to them because it says here even in the prophecy that the wall and the, uh, the, wall and the streets would be built again even in troublesome times. Well, it was a pretty troublesome time for Israel as Rome was in charge of them and Rome was like, you know, they were their, you know, Israel was like their prisoner basically. They were, you know, Rome had dominion over Israel at the time. This would have been a kind of a, a, another key that would have let them know. But nevertheless, to keep this kind of faith going for seven plus generations, for over 500 years, took an extreme amount of devotion and dedication. And that was the wise men. The wise men and all those who followed them before them, all those who came before them, were very dedicated and lived dedicated, dedicated, very devotional, watchful lives, looking for signs, looking for miracles, pointing to the Christ's coming. That's the one response. Now we look at response two. We look at Herod. So how did Herod handle the knowledge of Christ? First of all, a little background on Herod. He was formerly known as Herod the Great. And he was the king of Israel, obviously, as the scripture says, at the time of Christ's birth. His authority was given to him by his father. History records that he was a very crazy man who, firstly, he, he banishes his first wife and three-year-old son and then later kills his second wife along with some of his kids and many of his family and many Jewish leaders. Because why? He was afraid that they were going to steal his throne. So how does he respond to this coming king? That what does a king do? He takes the throne. Well, Herod saw Jesus, or this coming king, as this newborn king, as a threat to his throne. So knowing this, having this fear of already killing all these people because he was afraid to lose his throne, how did he respond to the knowledge of Christ? It says in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. This didn't mean that all Jerusalem knew. What this meant that Herod was troubled, it meant that he was angry. He was furious. He was frustrated. And what happened when Herod was furious and frustrated and angry? All Israel felt his wrath. All the Jews, all the people of the land felt his wrath because he was a wild man. 
So how did Herod, again, more, how did he handle the coming of the Christ? Not only was he afraid of losing his power, so he was angry and all Jerusalem with him. So let's look at the action that he took, that he took after he got the message from the wise men. He got the message from the wise men. He sent them away. What did he do? He called in the leaders of the Jews. It says here, in verse 4, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. You know, so then he gives the prophecy about the Christ. So then what does he do? He doesn't call the wise men back in when the leaders of the Jews are there. What does he do? He sends them away, because we see here in verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, see, notice the word secretly. He didn't want the Jewish leaders to know that some king, a great king of Israel, was being born or was born. So he secretly called the wise men in and he sent them away to go do his footwork. Now, obviously, God protected Jesus because really Herod, hearing this and even hearing the prophecy, he would have most likely been spurned on to even send delegates with the wise men, which he really easily could have done. But God obviously protected Jesus because he had a greater purpose for coming than to just die as an infant for us. Because he should have really sent envoys with these magi, and then he should have just, the king would have been killed right away. Nevertheless, back to the, back to the text, back to the scripture. He sent the wise men back, or he, sent, he calls the wise men secretly, tells them go, so they go. But why did he do this? Again, I, I bring up the fact that if the Jews would have known that a great king was born and these magi would have come and they would have heard this, then the Jews, a natural response of the Jews would have been to say, well, hey, let's go get this king and let's make him king. He's going to rule because they, one, of their, one of their false interpretations of the Tanakh of the Old Testament was that when the king came, when the Messiah came, he was going to rule now. Well, we know by scripture that there was all kinds of prophecies about Christ. Some talked about his later coming when he'd come back at the end of the days, and then some talked about when he would come and die for the sins of mankind. Well, they they just wanted to believe the ones that they did, so they would have they would have been thinking, let's go get this Messiah, and let, let's go get this king, and let's make him king. So Herod, again, was afraid. He was afraid of an uproar. Didn't want the Jews to uproar and make a million. And he did not want to lose his throne. So he responds, of course, his response is the end of his responses. When he learned that the wise men had deceived him, what did he do? He went forth and destroyed hundreds and thousands of families by sending forth and killing all these males that were born from two years old and younger. So he lied, he did things in secret, and then he committed murder as a response to what he did. He immediately got angry. He came against Jesus in all these ways. Wicked, 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 evil response. But the wise men, we go back to them as a recap, the wise men, they came from these to a crazy man, and they, they kind of a recap, and they would have known Herod was a crazy man. They would have known that Herod was a wild man, a crazy man. And by even coming, they even could have lost their lives by giving this crazy man news that the Messiah, that this great king was born. Herod could have just killed them right away, and then it would have been probably the end of it. But they came anyway. They braved 700 miles in a caravan of many peoples to worship a child. 
whom they knew was a child, for who, whereas he was been born king of the Jews. So they knew he was a child, but they came 700 miles to worship a child. And when they came and they saw the star above the house, not the, not the manger, they worshipped, they, they ex exceedingly rejoiced. And then when they walked in, they saw the child with his mother. They fell down on their faces and they worshipped a baby, a two-year-old baby. Look at this response that they had to what they did. In this section of scripture, we saw Herod and the wise men. We saw two responses. We really see a kind of exactly what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 12, 30, when he said that you are either for me or against me. You either gather together or you scatter abroad, is what he says in Matthew 12, 30. The wise men gathered together for God or they were with him or for him. Remember, they lived lives of devotion and dedication to this cause of seeing the new king come, worshiping him and kind of ushering him in. While Herod embodies really the other half of what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, Herod scattered abroad or was against God. Sad, 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 sad. Now, the knowledge of Christ drove these two groups of people to respond in two extremely different ways. Many people today still respond to Christ in these two different ways, believe it or not. I'm a street minister by what God has given me and called me to do first and foremost. Pastor's coming right now, but I've been a street minister for Jesus for 10, well, 11 or 12 years. I go out in the streets and just preach in Christ. So in my travels on the streets, what I found is that a lot of people do respond, especially the Herod way. They get away from me. I don't want to hear that about Jesus or ah, get out of here. You know, or, I got better things to do. And they, and they respond in a terrible, terrible way toward Jesus. And few respond as the wise men did with, you know, lives that they see Christ and they get the knowledge of Christ and they respond as few have done to that. And they fall down and they worship him exactly like the wise men did. But unfortunately, outside the text here, we see a third response. In America today. And sadly we see this. From the church in America. And that response. Is neutrality. Just being neutral and moderate. Toward the knowledge of Christ. Or in other words. As Revelation 3.16 puts it. Jesus says. Lukewarm. But what does it mean to be lukewarm? So we go to Revelation. 3.16. And we're going to read exactly what Jesus said about this lukewarmness. So then because you are lukewarm, say are neutral, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So many people today, especially in America, have a lukewarm or neutral response toward Christ. They know a lot about him. They've heard about him. They even have a belief in him. They even go to church, even consider themselves Christians. But the problem is, is there's no response upon their knowledge. This is a challenge for us all today. What response category would you put yourself in 
today listening to this. Paul exhorts people in, in 2 Corinthians 13.5 to examine oneself as to whether or not the people, we, the people of the Corinthian church, were really of the face, faith. And I ask everyone hearing this to really examine themselves as if they really are of the faith. Right now in this day, right now, when you're hearing this, if you cannot say that you are in the wise man category, you are not in the faith. Remember, Jesus said you either are for me or against me. You either scatter abroad or you gather. In your life, when you wake up, can you say that from when you wake up to when you go to bed, you have a watchful eye and you're concerned and you have a devotion to Jesus Christ, whom you say you believe in? Or do you just have a belief in him and that does not affect the way you live? Look at the wise men who were the gatherers. They were woke up and they worshipped God every day by looking and seeking and studying the scriptures and looking for the signs, looking for the miracles. They lived lives of devotion. You either gather or you scatter. In your life, are you a gatherer? One that where you wake up, your life is lived for Christ and doing the things that he told you to do. Or do you just have a knowledge of him and you just do nothing like Jesus spoke about in Revelation 3.16? You're just lukewarm. You're just neutral. Well, what did Jesus say he would do to those who were lukewarm? But vomit them out of his mouth. How important is that to hear if you're not a wise man listening today? If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion, then you are in danger. Please hear me. Please hear what the Bible says. Jesus said many different times in Scripture, those who desire to follow him must Deny themselves, pick up their crosses, and follow after Jesus, and follow after him. What does deny self mean? Deny self is deciding, make a decision within yourself to say, I'm on the wrong path. I realize that I'm on the wrong path because I am lukewarm and I really don't live for Christ. I don't do the things which he told me to do and I really don't live for him. And then you repent the word that the Bible uses is called repentance. Repent. It means to realize you're in the wrong state. It means to, with all your heart, to turn away from the way you're living right now. To make a decision to turn away and to stand firm in your heart and your mind to turn to Christ. And to turn to His ways and make a decision to firmly start following Jesus. That's what deny self means. Next, Jesus said to pick up your cross. And literally what people did when they picked up a cross is they went to die on that cross. Picking up your cross simply means losing your whole life in God. Totally being sold out in your thoughts, in your actions, in your deeds, in your words. Losing yourself in Christ. Surrendering to Christ, surrendering to God with your whole self. And then lastly, Jesus said, follow me. So Jesus lived a pretty, pretty, pretty hard life and it was lived in devotion unto God and doing the things that God sent him to do. 
Are you living the way Jesus lived? Because that's exactly what Jesus said. Those who desire to follow after him must do. Repent, deny self. Pick up cross, lose life in God. And follow me, follow Jesus. If you're not in that category again, you're in danger because if you're lukewarm or you're like Herod, the Bible does not have anything good to say about that. Again, one of the apostles of Jesus in John, 1 John 2.6. It wasn't the Gospel of John, but it was in 1 John 2.6. John writes, He who says he abides in him, or Christ, ought himself also to walk just as he, or Jesus, walked. It's all throughout the Bible, folks. It's just, please examine yourself. Are you a wise man? Are you Herod? Are you lukewarm? Only the first category of person, according to Christ's word himself, is someone that's saved, is someone that knows God. Examine your life today. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a hard, brutal life and lived in a brutal ministry for over three years to give this message. Not for you and then went to the cross and died on that cross to save mankind from their sins. He didn't do all this to give you this gift for you to have a belief, but then that belief not cause you to do or act in any way at all. If you're listening to this message and you find yourself like Herod and you're angry at the knowledge of Christ, before you get angry at him, Go back and look and see if he was real. And read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the life of Christ. And read how much he loves you and what he did for you. And read about the prophecies that he fulfilled in the Old Testament, which proved that he was the one. And then know that those prophecies came from different authors from hundreds and thousands of years before Christ. And they've been proven time and time and time and again not to be written by Christians, not to be written by people that doctored them up in Christ's time or past, as, Christ, as people have claimed that they've been. Either way, examine yourself from our scripture today because our name of our study today is response. What is your response toward Christ? Is it a wise man? Is it Herod? Or you have no response and you're just lukewarm, you just have a simple belief in Christ? Please, I encourage you, if you find yourself as this lukewarm person or this person who just has a belief in Jesus but don't really act upon it please turn today to Christ that's what he wants in God's word in 2 Peter 3 9 the Bible says God says Peter writes that God desires none to perish but all to come to repentance all to come to that point where they turn their hearts and their wills to Christ and they put them all under his authority not under theirs anymore and if you find yourself in this category, not like the wise men, I encourage you today, right now, as you're hearing this, to cry out to God with all your heart. Something like this. There's no prayer of salvation in the Bible, but just cry out to God, for the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call out to Him right now and tell Him you're sorry for your sins and tell Him that you want Him to be your Lord. And in your heart of hearts, if you really want to change, 
If you really want to turn from self and turn to God, He knows it. Please turn now before it's too late. You do not guarantee one more day. Turn to Christ and say, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Please save me. I don't want to be on this lukewarm path anymore. I want to be yours. Change me. I need you. Save me. Please, God, save me. Save my soul and cry out to Him right now. I love you. And Jesus Christ loves you. And you know He came to die for your sins. If you're not a wise man, turn. If you're Herod, please look at the Scriptures. And examine Jesus for yourself. And if you're a wise man, continue to follow Christ as the wise men did for all these seven generations. Over 500 years of people kept on looking, kept on waiting. And keep waiting and keep anticipating Jesus until he comes for you or until you die and go to be with him. Thank you, dear Lord God, for this message. I pray, Lord God, that anyone that would listen to this message would turn if they're not living right, if they're not living for Christ, if they don't find if they find themselves not a wise man today, that they would turn to Christ with all their hearts and repent of their sins and turn to you and lose their life in you. Please save anybody that's listened to this message, dear Jesus, that doesn't know you. Save their souls. And those Christians that have listened to this message, dear God, like myself and many other Christians that have listened to this message, Lord God, I pray that they would live their lives more and more and more every single day, holy and devoted to Christ, more and more and more each and every day. I love you, Jesus, and I praise you, and I ask all these things in your mighty name. Amen.